And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It is a health issue that afflicts millions of Americans, specifically in the senior population. What is it? And how can you help to prevent it? Joining me today in studio with a continuing education series is Dr. John Duong from the Holistic Health Center. And, Doctor, today we're talking about this issue of peripheral neuropathy. Tell us exactly what it is and why does it affect so many seniors today? Um, Because of their discomfort, the pain and numbness and loss of balance. Number one issue for seniors. What's number one cause of death for seniors? It's fall. Why did they fall? Loss of balance. Why did they lose of balance? Because there's nerve issue. And also the nerve, that's transfer signal to the brain. So also the brain and the nerve signal. So that's cause of people to fall. So we need to be more aware of that. So now we need to find out what is the solution. How can we take care of the body from within? How do people begin to recognize what some of the key symptoms are related to peripheral neuropathy? Numbness, burning in the feet, cramping in the leg, electrical uh, pain, like some people describe it as uh, walking on pebbles, and a pain while we're walking for like a block or so, sleeping discomfort, waking them up with pain, and then um, pricking, feeling on the feet, Loss of balance, number one to me, is loss of balance and falling and weakness in the feet. And, of course, there will be a lot of swelling in the feet. Now, a lot of seniors may look at that and say, well, this is just a normal part of aging. Is that really the case, or are all of these symptoms of peripheral neuropathy things that can be treated? You can improve. The body is able to heal itself. To a lot of like uh, patients, a lot of times that the doctor said there's nothing they can do because they are taking as a uh, approach of like symptoms relief, like band-aid or the pain. What we do differently is that we take a look at a human being. The body has the capacity to heal itself from within. So how do we do that? That's what we're here to talk for. So from an educational standpoint, of course, in order for the body to help do a better job at healing itself, we really need to understand then what is causing the underlying condition. What causes this? Just like the name of it is peripheral neuropathy. Neuropathy is the nerve damage. So now we need to find out what caused the nerve to be damaged. A lot of time is circulations. And then also there's the, the circulations that it doesn't transfer the signal from the feet back onto the brain. So a lot of time when the patients come and see me for peripheral neuropathy, I said not only that you have a brain issue, and also the feet is part of the problem as well. So your body is connected. From the feet up to the brain. Can part of this also be malalignment of the spine that is putting pressure on a nerve that's creating part of this problem? Some, some, what, one of the causes for that is the spine. Because when you have stenosis uh, on the back, pain on the back, it doesn't have to be pain. Some people have stenosis. It does press on the nerve so it can go down into the leg. Of course, because we want to find out the nerve involvement from the feet all the way trace it back to the lower back, and then trace it all the way up to the neck and also into the brain. So the patient then should not just dismiss this as being normative or sometimes people who say, well, I get this numbness or this tingling sensation, my foot fell asleep. Exactly. And, and that really is a misnomer then. So when you talk about the, the degree of people or the number of people that are suffering from this, is it something that they have to resign themselves to, as most doctors say, just, well, it's a part of aging, get used to it, or is there actually hope? 
um, there is always hope because the body heals itself. But most to most patients, when they see the doctors, they give them some medication to actually numb the pain. So they don't feel it. They don't feel the pain, but yet their balance is getting worse. They start with walking with cane, and then a walker, and then wheelchair, and synthesis the living. So that's the progression because the doctors already told them there's nothing you can do. But please think. What it does is that the body can have the potential to heal itself and the power to improve the condition. So there's certain damage on the nerve. We want the body to repair as much as we can. We cannot, like if you are like 70, 80 years old, you cannot have a 20 years old body again. But the body is able to repair and allowing, the key thing is allowing the body to function better. And what I always teach my patient is that you have to do the work and you want to live a legacy and leave a legacy. Don't suffer through the legacy. So this is really then a matter of beginning to ascertain or identify what the underlying symptoms are and then get down to the cause and treat the cause as opposed to this other approach that you're suggesting, and that is, well, here, take a pill that makes the pain go away, but you're never really addressing the symptoms. This is the approach of getting to the symptoms and the cause behind those symptoms. Exactly. The body is the cause of all diseases. So we have to take care of the body so the body can heal. There's a lot of misinformation out there, helping people to better understand how the body is capable of healing itself, what we can do to help the body do what it was designed to do, what it does best, this process of self-healing, I know is a big part of your focus from an educational standpoint. Toward that end, you have made available on your website, through your Facebook location, as well as your YouTube channel, all kinds of informative and educational videos that can really people help people better understand this. My commitment is that I want to educate the populations because I believe the body can heal itself. So I'm making available videos. There, there's no way I can see everyone uh, like who's listening to the radios. But I make educational videos so that you can take a look at it and learn and get the tidbits so that you can improve the quality of life. Like, for example, like, like people are driving or sitting down. What, what does it do? Low back is an issue. So I make a video on like how to stretch every 30 minutes. You should relieve the discomfort. Otherwise, continue to build up and give pressure. Like for low back, right, is the L4, L5, L5, S1. If you take a look, if you have a back pain and you, you did have a uh, X-ray or MRI, where's the stenosis? Where's the degeneration? Where's the herniated disc? It's usually L4, L5. Why? We need to ask. We need to think so that we can get better. So why is L4, L5? So what are the solutions? I'm here to share with the listeners the solutions to relieve the pressure on the low back so your disc, your bone, your body can last for a long time. And also the neck. What is the location of the neck? C4, C5, and C5, C6 has the most common injury. Now we need to ask why. What are the active things that we can do to minimize? I always educate my patients. If you do not invest in health, what do you do? By default, you invest in sickness. So we have to be proactive, doing this daily and routinely. So not only that, I teach my patients to do their exercise to help, but also create a habit of doing it. So now you can continuously doing it to relieve the pressures. Therefore, it will minimize the discomfort, minimize the pain that you're going to 
And, of course, the first step in that process is to get educated. And as we mentioned, Dr. Dong has posted a number of videos that deal with a variety of health-related topics available on his website at drduonglive.com. That's D-R abbreviated, drduonglive.com. In addition, I understand, Dr. Duong, you're offering a free consultation for our listeners who call in today toll-free at 800-470-0828. That's 800-470-0828. Tell us more about that consultation. The consultation, if you do have any chronic pain, like in particular, peripheral neuropathy or loss of balance, so what we do is that the first thing that we do is that we examine the nerve, like uh, what type of nerve damage, like what degree of nerve damage there is on your feet. Is it connected to your brain? So we do evaluation and find out where the problem is. The most important question is that, can we help you? Because if you lose more than 85% of the nerve during the examination, then I cannot help. So I just want to make sure that this is something that we can help and we will give you the answers to that. And then if you have any type of chronic pain and want to heal the body from within, Call the numbers, and my staff would connect you to see me. And again, that toll-free number to call is 800-470-0828. Right now, Dr. Dong offering a free consultation for our listeners, toll-free at 800-470-0828. In addition, you can also call to request a copy of his free report, The Five Keys to Defeating Neuropathy Pain. That's The Five Keys to Defeating Neuropathy Pain. No cost. Call today and request that free report, The Five Keys to Defeating Neuropathy Pain, 800 800- Four seven zero zero eight two eight. Again, you can also get more information online and take advantage of all of these series of videos available in the continuing education series being produced by Dr. Duong by going to his website, drduonglive.com. That's drduonglive.com. Visit us on Facebook and, and also YouTube. I post a lot of videos in there, so that, that's how you get more information, get more educated of how to take care of your health and how to heal the body from within. And again, the YouTube channel is simply drduonglive.com. Dr. Duong, thank you for dropping by. Thank you, Craig. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I had a friend when I was growing up in um, high school days and was involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And this guy was a great believer, really had a heart for the Lord, uh, was found faithfully in church on every Sunday, uh, had a voracious uh, desire and appetite for the Word. Every time there was a prayer opportunity, a prayer meeting, something of that sort, he was there. He was just one of those really faithful guys. And yet, in the entire time that I knew him, I recognized that this guy dealt with a degree of shame. Now, in his case, the shame wasn't necessarily because of anything that he had done or failed to do. But, you see, he came from a household where his mother had died years before when he was younger, leaving the surviving parent, his father, with himself, a younger brother, a younger sister. Uh, Dad was kind of a rough-and-tumble kind of character, uh, had been a truck driver, inconsistent when it came to work, so... The house wasn't in a very nice neighborhood. The lawns were never well kept. The house was never well maintained. The kids were never well dressed nor never well fed. Though they were all decent human beings, there always seemed to be kind of this cloud of shame that this friend of mine carried, even as a believer, uh, because he couldn't invite people over to his home. He felt embarrassed at times because 
His father, being kind of the rough-and-tumble guy, would use uh, foul language and things of that sort, so there was a degree of embarrassment. And um, I always wondered, boy, what kind of a cross is that for us to bear as believers when sometimes we deal with the, the pain of worthlessness or rejection or just downright shame? Well, my guest tonight has written a book that tackles this very issue. Uh, down through the years, he's authored quite a number of best-selling books, uh, including When People Are Big and God is Small, Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave, Depression, Stubborn Darkness, many others, including his latest book entitled simply Shame Interrupted, How God Lifts the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. And Ed Welsh, great to have you on the program tonight. Craig, yeah, great to be with you, too. I really, uh, really enjoy thinking about this particular topic, and um, I'm looking forward to our time together. You mentioned to our listeners that you are a licensed uh, psychologist and faculty member of the um, Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, a highly respected organization, and you've, you've tackled an issue here that kind of kind of rides down below the surface, I think, in the lives of a lot of believers for different reasons. Now, I shared at my opening remarks the, the shame, the sense of shame that this friend of mine had for so long, that sent, that kind of foreboding sense of of, of, of guilt about this and never knowing quite what to do. I mean, is this something that we need to maybe right out the gate differentiate between guilt and shame or the sense that we'll get under some some circumstances of conviction of the Holy Spirit? Kind of delineate that for us. If yeah, you would, I, I think that's an important one, but let me go, let me go back a little bit. You're, you're, you're wrestling with the question, how, how big is this issue? And and if we go to Scripture, it's, it seems to advertise shame is, in many ways, the, the premier human struggle. You know, so, you know, you have Genesis. They were naked and without shame. Well, that's just, you know, it's like, a, it's like a, the, the story being given away right at the beginning, where, you know, it's setting us up to see, okay, then they were naked and with shame. And, and really, the entire Bible becomes a, a, a wrestling with this question, what do I do with this sense of shame? So I, I think you're, you're saying something very, very important at the outset with your illustration. Well, here's a guy who was struggling with it, but if, if Scripture is true, what we'd expect is that we're going to find, we're going to find touches of this in every single person. And, and some of those words you used to describe shame, they, boy, I would imagine just about every American would say them. I feel like a failure sometimes. I feel worthless. Who, haven't, who hasn't said that? Um, I feel unlovable, uh, and but here's here's the sort of the twist that shame gives unlovable. Uh, I'm unlovable, but other people aren't. You know, other people are lovable, but I'm not lovable. There's something there's something especially not quite right about me. That's mm. un, it's under those experiences that we find this this thing that Scripture calls shame. And as you point out, this is something that we really have struggled with since the beginning of mankind. I mean, we, we've got that illustration very early in the garden uh, with the creation of mankind. There he was, there she was in our, in our uh, complete glory. Uh, there was never any sense of guilt or shame. Uh, until then, of course, uh, of the eating of the knowledge of the tree of, of good and evil. And suddenly, man in his nakedness went from that state of being without shame to suddenly burdened down with shame. And this is something that, of course, is, has followed us to one degree or another ever since. And, and if, we, if we follow the, the storyline in those first chapters of Genesis, we find this, this very concise 
precise picture of shame. And it seems to revolve around a triad of three things. Well, first of all, you feel naked, obviously. You, you feel exposed. You feel like you are being seen. Somebody, others can see you and you're not quite right. That would be one experience of it. You just feel exposed. Uh, a second is, and you, you find this in the Genesis story, you feel like an outcast. You feel like you don't belong anymore. And I would say that that's, in many ways, that's really the key experience. There's something about you that you don't fit in. And I can remember one, uh, this, this, this moment I had in high school where, of course, I, like everybody else in high school, felt like I never fit in. But then I'd have these conversations with my friends, and I found these guys who were, you know, you know great guys who, who just seemed like they had everything. They didn't feel like they fit in. You, know, you begin to realize, does anybody feel like they belong? And it's an elusive human experience. The other part of the experience is you feel unclean. There's something dirty about you. And, and Craig, I think that's where that link between guilt and shame can get a little fuzzy, where, okay, you feel dirty, you feel bad. Well, I think, I think many of us have this instinct that if we feel bad, it means we've done something bad, we've done something wrong, and, and we, we tend to look for something to confess. And, and certainly shame can occasionally be because we have done something we feel like is so wrong. It's, it's a different kind of sin or a different kind of wrong than other people have committed. And so there's that sense we, you know, well, for example, I, I uh, drove to work today and I expect if today was not like any other day, I rolled through a stop sign or two. And, and is that breaking the law? And I'm not trying to say I'm proud of it, but, but I'm willing to acknowledge it because I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hoping <laughs> that, that you rolled through a stop sign today too. And, and, and so you're, you're shaking your head and say, yeah, 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 I'm with you. I know, I know what you're talking about. But there, there are other kinds of wrongs that we could talk about where nobody's shaking their head. They're just sort of looking at us. So occasionally, the, the bad that we feel is a result of, of what we've done. We just feel like what we've done is very different and, and more disgraceful than anything anybody else has done. The other, the larger part of shame, which you've already spoken about, is, is we feel bad, we feel unclean, but it's, it, you, can, you can confess all day and it's not going to make any difference. Um, it's because we are associated with things or people that have done unclean things to us. And, and certainly, you know, you, you mentioned one, just associations with poverty and not having anything. Well, there's the literal sense of feeling worthless and not fitting in. The, the other illustrations that, that probably most of us would immediately think of would be some kind of sexual violation where you have been, it's not what you've done. You feel, obviously, you feel dirty, but you can't confess that dirtiness because it's a dirtiness that somebody else has thrown on you or somebody who's been divorced. Um, the same thing. If they were on the bad end of, the, of divorce where, where the spouse left them, there, there's a sense that there's something wrong with me. There's something bad about me. And it's not because of what they've done. It's because of what has been done to them. So, so shame really is the much larger struggle if, uh, than guilt. Guilt can be one part of shame, but shame is a much, much wider experience. Tackling the topic today as we're joined by best-selling author Edward Welsh, a look at Shame Interrupted, how God lifts the pain of worthlessness and rejection. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're visiting today with best-selling author Ed Welsh. 
He is a licensed psychologist and faculty member of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. And uh, amongst the number of titles that he's written down through the years, his latest, Shame Interrupted, How God Lifts the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. Let's um, maybe kind of dive a little bit deeper into this topic, Ed, as we help folks understand sometimes the difference between what maybe can be good shame in letting us know, and maybe I'm not using the right phraseology here, but letting us know that there's something amiss in our lives that we need to address versus the kind of shame that's kind of brought upon us typically by circumstances that oftentimes are either outside of our control or, or, or had nothing to do with our own actions. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I guess I guess I tend to think about it this way. I think of of guilt has a bit more benefits than shame. <laughs> where where guilt, you know, our conscience can remind us, hey, I did wrong, and it's time for confession. Shame is it, it tends to be much more renegade, and and I I I don't find really that often in scripture. Occasionally you find it. Um, but but very infrequently do you find in Scripture the encouragement for people to experience shame. There were times where Israel was just completely hard-hearted, and and, and the Lord essentially says, "Shame on you! Uh, you you have you have no shame anymore." But but when 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 I see the Lord dealing with individual people, especially when we race up to the New Testament and see Jesus in action, all we see is just this incredible compassion for those who wrestle with shame. So. So I, I think the scripture is much more interested in that question. Okay, here's this here's this soul deadening struggle that human beings can have. What is the way through it? Working through that is is a process, isn't it? And it's a process that can be different for everybody. And and I would imagine a lot of it comes down to flipping the the perspective in other words oftentimes that shame is based on how we perceive others and how they perceive us do we then have to kind of move beyond that to begin to see the way god perceives us yeah boy absolutely i, I think you, you just you just hit hit on something very important that 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 I, you know i want to learn of these things as we're speaking as well and and is as we understand the way God works, it's not, oh, oh, all of a sudden, in a half hour, we're going to be free of shame. It's, it's what we're, you know, what we're looking for is just maybe just a little glimmer, you know, just something that, 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 that approximates hope, okay? And just something that surprises us a little bit, where we say, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting our God, the holy God, to have this kind of concern for, for outcasts. That, that's what we're looking for, just in, a, in one sense to be intrigued by a God who doesn't, who doesn't conform to our expectations. And, and one of the things you said when you talked about the phone lines being down is, is probably relevant to right now, too, where in a sense what, what the Lord says, I think, is, is, is listen, okay? Just, just sit down and, and listen, and which is so unusual. for that, That's surprising in and of itself. For people who wrestle with shame, they feel like they have to do something. They have to wash themselves more. They have to, they have to somehow be a, fail, a, a success before they're able to, to be able to appear before God and other people. But, but what you have in Scripture is a God who says, listen, listen to, listen to stories of people who experience shame and watch, watch my affection for them. And and then story after story in Scripture, that's, that's what we receive. You know, what struck me so interesting, going back to my, my central example earlier on of this friend of mine who had grown up in, you know, less than ideal circumstances, I, I always took note of the fact, Ed, that here was someone who 
because he was not a person of, of great wealth or of status, had a very easy time in showing a sense of compassion toward others. Uh, here was someone who would volunteer during the holidays at a soup kitchen to help feed the needy during Thanksgiving and giving and Christmas and so forth, um, who, even though he had limited means, uh, was someone who tithed frequently, was, was eager to do something to help somebody else out who was in need. His His own life experience gave him the ability to see need in others, and yet when he turned that mirror on himself, yep. he saw someone that was a loser, who was worthless, who didn't feel comfortable going to certain events because he couldn't dress as nice as the others. It's yeah, amazing how it, there was a degree it. to which the shame taught him things about others that enabled him to become more understanding, more caring, more compassionate, and yet, as much as it benefited him to a degree in that sense, mm-hmm. never benefited his own viewpoint of himself but it's a it's a good starting point what you're saying where 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 people who struggle with shame you know, it, maybe we could put it this way an outcast can recognize other outcasts mm, okay. they they have keen eyes for other outcasts and 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 that seems to be the story of the new testament where here comes here comes the king and and you know, he's, you know his birth is announced with angels and prophecies but but if you're an outcast and you start reading through the very beginning of the New Testament, what you say is, hold it, here's, I recognize this guy, okay? He doesn't belong either. He's on the outs as well. Here's a per. I recognize him. Is it possible that he might even recognize me? And, and, and then the, the, the greatest indignity, they go down to Egypt. It's, you know, you know, Egypt is just a horrifying thing for a Jew. That's, you know, that's where they were enslaved. And, and so he spends a, a couple early years in Egypt. You know, episode after episode, you look at you look at the Messiah, and, and and an outcast is able to spot Jesus better than anybody else because he is like them. And then then when you then when you watch his ministry take shape, it's it, it's the most peculiar thing. I mean, if you want to have a reputation, you go among the movers and the shakers and the influencers. And, and, and Jesus was immediately on the outs, and he was on the outs with the mover and shakers because, here, you, know, you remember that original complaint, hey, he can't be one of us because he eats with sinners mm-hmm. and, and tax collectors. He, he eats with people who are on the outs. He eats with the unclean, which makes him unclean himself. And, and that, was, that was the original rap against Jesus, that he associates himself with the outcasts. And, and so, you know, to, to use your friend as the illustration, what we're, you know, what we're doing is, okay, you got it. You recognize another outcast. So watch him. Watch, you know, watch him walk through life. Now, now notice this. Do you see that that outcast, Jesus Christ, he makes a beeline toward you? Okay. And and most people who really wrestle with shame is sort of their full time job. They they don't believe it. And and I think well, you know, the, the scripture goes on and says, well, let me tell you some more stories, and let me tell you some more stories, and let me tell you some more. But at some point, I think those who wrestle wrestle with shame, they they're going to have to do something. So in in a sense, the Lord says, hear the stories, just listen. And then He says, okay, now respond. And and the response can be as simple as. Amen. Okay, Lord, I believe. 
I believe you even pursue me as an outcast. I believe that you, and here's, here's a term that Scripture uses, you turn your face to me. And when somebody turns their face to you, it's this, it's this sign that you belong to them. It's a sign of their pleasure and their goodwill toward you. At some point, those who wrestle with shame, they're going to have to not only hear these beautiful words, but they're going to have to say, yes, I believe them. I believe that they're words that, that, that the Lord says to me. We're so comfortable sometimes living in kind of that pain because it's something that's very familiar, that sense of worthlessness and inferiority or living with rejection, humiliation, failure. And certainly a lot of people these days in light of what's transpired in the economy, uh, people who have worked hard at their career um, and achieved a modicum of success and then suddenly because of no fault of their own, lost a job, lost a home, have not been able to regain employment and they're walking around with that sense of shame. Let's talk about that angle when we come back. And turning about perspective on this topic, uh, seeing this as God sees us, seeing ourselves as God sees us. Shame interrupted. Best-selling author Edward Welch with us today. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We've got best-selling author with us today, Ed Welsh. His latest book is called Shame Interrupted, How God Lifts the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. Got a number of best-selling books to his credit. He also serves as a licensed psychologist and faculty member at the notable Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. But dealing with this topic, and you know, if you're someone who walks around, who lives with, who is an intimate of shame, that sense of rejection and worthlessness and weakness, humiliation, failure. And boy, certainly that that sense of failure, I think, is something that so many people these days, Ed, in the wake of what's been going on with the economic decline, have really had to struggle with. What kind of advice, what kind of insight can you offer to somebody who's who's walking around with that kind of shame, lost the job, lost the house, they feel like they're failure at caring for their family, and yet what do they do? Uh, there's... There's nothing unique to this particular era in how we measure who we are by how much we make. And 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 I don't live in the Bay Area, but but I would think that it would be only be more obvious in in the Bay Area. There's nothing unique to that because I think you found the same thing in the New Testament. And because the you know the poor they were they were the ones who were literally were worthless. Um, and you know that's that's you know, a prominent way we measure our worth. What's our income? What's the status of our job? And and, and so I think there there are a couple of things that that Scripture does, what the, the Jesus does. The the first thing is he says, hey, this is not a mirage. It's not simply you love money so much and you love your reputation. Uh, Jesus is is acknowledging that poverty and and financial difficulties are truly hard thing. And the hard things that, that 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 can be experienced shamefully before the community, and and then you keep your eyes open in the scripture, and and so here, Matthew chapter five, for example, it's you know one of one of the the early discourses that that we have from Jesus, and here's how it starts: <laughs> you know, Blessed are the poor, mm. blessed are the poor. Now now that's not going to make people out of a job feel really you know real, real nice all of a sudden. But it, it should capture our attention just a little bit, <laughs> where once again, it's as, if, it's as if Jesus is aiming for the outcast and the shamed. That's, they are his people. And, and so, so it's very intentional that he starts out the Beatitudes 
by saying, blessed are the poor. He's, he's showing how things are not the way they seem, that those who are outcast are, those are the people of the living God. They are the ones who belong ultimately to the king. And, and what does he say? I think that's the one where he says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom mm-hmm. of heaven. And again, it's, like you said earlier, this is a process. Um, and, and nobody's going to go away saying, oh, this is, okay, great, my shame is all done now, and I, I feel fine about not having work. It, it's, is one of the big um, wedges, though, that we need to address here is to understand that in this process, ultimately, um, without regard to what the source might be of our shame, sometimes it's controllable, a lot of times it isn't, to mm-hmm. ultimately understand that each and every one of us were bought with a price and that there is much that can be said about that, um, that ultimate and enormous Christ, uh, sacrifice that Christ paid for us. Uh, so that in and through that sacrifice, that 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 enormous pearl of great price, as Scripture says, uh, we can learn to 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 see our identity as He sees our identity, and be able to shed that sense of shame after a while. I, I think what we're saying is that we we tend to think that the work of Christ on the cross is for forgiveness of sins in the narrowest sense, but. But you know, here's the problem: you go into the courtroom, and and the judge says you're you're not guilty, and you're forgiven. You leave the courtroom, and you still feel disgusting. Well, it, you know, in some ways, the the verdict doesn't make a whole lot of difference. You feel you still feel like a disgrace. I, I think what we're what we're what we're moving toward is what happened at the cross is much bigger than we will ever ever imagine. And and in in that forgiveness of sins, we have been given Christ Himself. And 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 and. And we and and here's shame is about associations. Are you associated with your poverty? Are you associated with the person who abused you? Uh, are you associated with your sins? Well, what what Jesus does at the cross is he is he snips all those old associations and he says you are you are now associated with me. And and so you know there's that, that wonderful passage in Peter. You are chosen. This is these are all words specifically to those who wrestle with shame. A chosen people, you're chosen. Okay. A royal priesthood, you're rich. Uh, a holy nation, you're, 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 you're even more than clean, you're holy. And then that, that, that thing that Peter says, a people belonging to God, a people belonging to God. That's all part of the package of, of the gospel of Christ. The, the gospel is for our guilt and the gospel is for our shame. Isn't it interesting, too, I think of that passage, that the people belonging to God, people that God calls having been set apart. So often we think of ourselves in the negative sense of having been set apart as being an outcast um, and so forth, and yet to understand that there is another type of being set apart, called by his name, paid for by his blood, where now all of a sudden we can understand that that being somebody different than the rest can actually be something very special. It's it, 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 it's it's amazing the way the scripture uses the same kind of words. Um, yeah, you're set apart. Now it's a set apart like you're okay. You're on the traveling baseball team. <laughs> now you're set apart. You're you're in this elite organization. Now you're set apart where you are absolute. You are the one who is known by name by the king. So. So it's a set apart, but it's a set apart that warms our soul and and says that we you know that here's here, here this seems to be the very hub of scripture where where the Lord says to us in Christ, "I am yours and you are mine. We are pe- people belonging to God. That's what we're set apart for. 
Ultimately, Ed, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. For those that have been eavesdropping on our conversation this afternoon that say, boy, you guys have really nailed it, you are articulating exactly where I'm at, how do I begin getting on this road to understand that I can go from that sense of being an outsider, an outcast, to understanding what it means to take on the mantle of being set apart in his name? How does that process begin? I, I hate to seem self-aggrandizing and, and, and talking about my own book, but but that shame interrupted book is it, it's really looking at it's basically just looking at scripture, but looking at it through the question, what do I do with my shame, and, and just watching these beautiful words unfold. So, so so that you know that can be sort of a, a coach, a friend, if you will just to help people have eyes to see how Scripture does speak to shame over and over again. And, 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 and once, you, once you see it, once you're able to see those beautiful words, then you don't need the help as much, and you can just jump into Scripture and see them. But going back to, I think, what you said earlier, it's just allow that little, little nugget of hope to just settle in, okay? that, that maybe our God says things to our sense of disgrace and worthlessness, that is much more than we ever imagined before, just to have that hope. That's what a great place to start that would be. Indeed so. And, and hope is, I think, an, an internal and, incorpor- and important word uh, that can be a central starting point of our focus. You know, when blame shows up on the doorstep, uh, we're having that sense of shame. Uh, we feel like we're worthless. We've been rejected. We're outcast. Um, to begin to incorporate God's viewpoint on who we are, uh, and to begin to see ourselves, not necessarily through how we perceive others see us, but rather how we should understand God sees us, is the important difference when it comes to shame interrupted. The new book, by the way, which, as we mentioned before, um, is uh, published by New Growth Press, and uh, you can get more information online at newgrowthpressbookstore.com or through any Bay Area bookstore. And our thanks to best-selling author Ed Welsh for being with us tonight here on this edition of Lifeline. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group, all rights reserved.